Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Well, hello, podcast world. Welcome to another edition of FNO InsureTech. You are here attending this this episode with us. You have Lee Boyd coming hi. to you from Waco, Texas. Say hi again, Lee. Hi, everybody. And and Rob Beller coming to you from beautiful, sunny California. Why, why didn't Waco get a nice thing said about it? Well, you know, I don't think that Waco can compete with California when it comes to a place that people want to go visit. Well, we have really high mold today. Uh, we are actually the allergy center of, of America, I've been told, the, the Dust Bowl. You, so you don't have that. It, it's a funny thing that you bring this up because I've heard that many times. I've, As you know, I've visited Waco and lived in Waco. And lived in Waco. Sh- shortly. And allergies are like, Something that everybody has in common in Waco. Yeah, they're like pants. I mean, everyone has allergies. You move uh-huh. to Waco, you just expect to have it. Now, if you drive 45 minutes a different direction, all of a sudden it kind of clears up. Uh-huh. But right now, it is just the worst. We have what's, all of the blooms are coming out, all the all the oak trees, and it's just awful. What's, what's with Waco? Are you in a bowl or something? Does That's it all what they kind say. of sift down? That's what they say. You know what uh-huh. else is interesting about Waco? Uh, no, I don't. Please share it with us. There are these cliffs in Cameron Park that is is said, I, I've been told, I've read that these cliffs cause such an upward draft that it causes thunderstorms to break apart and miss Waco. So that's why a lot of times thunderstorms are on their way to Waco and all of a sudden they just split up. Now, I, hmm. I don't know if it's true, but that's what I was told. Hmm. Yeah. Look at that. Do you think it's true? You think you're going to listen to this podcast and learn about, you know, things, insurance, insure tech, whatnot. What you really come for are these uh, important tidbits about yeah. our lives, yeah, right? Facts. facts. Facts about weather. Hey, facts. We deal with weather. We, we're, we're in the weather business. Yeah. My mother, rest in peace, used to call me every time there was weather anywhere. Yes, yes, my mom say, does too. She would say, Rob, are you busy? Are you busy because of XYZ and XYZ state? And I would always say, Mom, no, it doesn't exactly work like that. No, but but thank you for calling. But thank you for calling. It's good to talk to you. Yeah. But no, in fact, speaking of my mother reminds me that today is a very special day. It's St. Patrick's Day. It is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patty's Day to you, Rob. Well, thank you. And to you, Lee, I do assume that you are of the Irish heritage. I learned recently through 23andMe that I am from Ireland, like 24% of my blood or something like that dates all the way back to Ireland Mm -hmm. and and then a little bit from England. Uh, But yeah, that's where it says I'm from. You know, this is, of course, an audio presentation, but if you all could see Lee Boyd, you'd look at him and you'd say, you know what? I can see him picking potatoes or I can see him sitting in a pub yeah, having a pint, right? I've never done that, but it, it does sound fun. You have the bloodline for it. 
That's what I'm told. Yeah. That's, that's what they say. Yeah. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Speaking of Irish people, mm-hmm. I think that our guest is Irish. Really? Eh, it's just a guess. Could I be. Can't, I cannot back that up, though. Yeah, I have no no idea. But I was looking for a way to start talking about our guest, who is one of those rare people. Mm-hmm. She is a three-timer. Maybe a saint of InsureTech. She is a three-timer on the FNO InsureTech podcast, one of our favorite all-time guests. Yeah. A brilliant woman, Harvard-educated, VC alumni- who is making waves in that business. Why don't you do the intro of her today? I can do that. We have Caitlin Johnson today of American Family Ventures. This is her third time to be on. We'd love to visit with her. She is going to bring insight into the world of venture tech and what's going on, what's hot out there right now. Maybe what does she have her eye on? It's always a delight. Last time she was on, we got to talk about wise and in an in-depth uh, interview about them. And today we're going to get to talk about new areas to be watching for. Right. And if anybody knows what's hot, it's AmFam Ventures, who has a track record that's, you know, right up there in the top 10 for corporate venture capital, um, as well as just the, the the venture capital marketplace in general. And, right. And we'll also talk about the new addition to the Johnson family. Yes. Very excited for her. Uh-huh. Very excited for the Johnson family, though we had to put up with lots of technical difficulties. Mm-hmm. It was well worth it. And we're excited to share our interview and our latest information about the marketplace with you from Caitlin Johnson, Managing Director at AmFam Ventures. Hey, everybody, we are here with, I'll just, I'm just going to say this, even though it's going to get Lee and I in a lot of trouble. Maybe our favorite guest ever. Oh, um, man. Quite yeah, the honor. I, I, on the podcast. Yep. What, what do you think, Lee? Yep. Big deal. Big deal. Okay. I, I always enjoy, always enjoy getting to visit with her. We're not going to get in trouble. No. Caribou's, Caribou's not going to put us on the <laughs> do not podcast list. No, he'll have to come back on and just continue his efforts. Martha's not going to put us on the do not podcast list. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, we've had 120 some episodes, Caitlin, and everybody, we love everybody who we've had. I don't think we've had anything but great guests, but yeah. you stand out and I'll wow. tell you why. There's two reasons. First, and not the biggest reason, the smallest reason is you're brilliant. You're great at your job. You're enthusiastic and exciting and and willing to go talk about anything to do with the business. Yeah. That's the boring part. <laughs> the exciting part is you gave us an episode when you were like minutes from giving birth. <laughs> That's right. You were like 40 weeks pregnant and, and you did your first episode with us. Very true. Very true. <laughs> Dedication. That is dedication to the podcast, man. That's right. You know what came. You know what came first, the podcast. That's right. right. My life's priorities are. I think I, I did a good job with those. Yeah, because usually what we have to do is we have to get on with our guests and explain to them why the podcast is more important than anything else in their life, like right. say giving birth, right? <laughs> 
But with yes. you, we didn't even have to do that. No, no. Yeah. And I actually, in fact, I told my son, if you, if you try to come, good luck because I'm doing the podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. You come podcast second first, to the buddy. podcast. <laughs> you know, since then, congratulations on having him. Yeah. Thank you very much. Tell yeah. us about, tell us about him. Did you well, name him Rob? Did you name him Rob? That's the first question. <laughs> I wish I had named him Rob, but we did okay. not. In not fact, too late. Yeah. Not too late. <laughs> that is true. Didn't like Amy Schumer. That's her name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. She like renamed her kid. After <laughs> yeah, so there's a precedent. You can do so it. There is a precedent. So yeah, no, he is fabulous. He's almost seven months and he's gotten into this really interesting phase where he's sitting up he's like he's engaging with you you're starting to see like cracks of his personality come out he's a we got lucky he's a very jovial happy little guy he's very tolerant so like diaper changes easy like wiping things from his face easy like he's he's just kind of bopping along doing life and living I guess living the dream because I mean I don't know what I'm doing where I wake up and go to work every day but this kid's got it made. So, um, I'm just kidding. I love what I do. So I know, I know, <laughs> I do that. but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a pretty sweet life, his life. That's wonderful. Well, w- welcome back for another go round. We wanted to have you on because you, you have an amazing perspective and you work for an amazing group, American Family Ventures. Yes. And there's a lot, a lot's been going on at American Family Ventures. Yeah. Yes, a lot has. So so tell us what you do there again and maybe get us a little excited about what's what's cooking there. Yeah, awesome. So I'm one of uh, four managing directors at the fund and we are focused on investing in the future of InsureTech, which we are really excited about and think it's a sector that not only is hot right now, but will continue to be a, a large and attractive market. And we kind of like to we, we planted our flagpole here um, back in 2013 and kind of called it like ahead of the curve to say, hey, this is actually a sector that's really going to be big and here to stay and and change the future of insurance in a very meaningful way. And we, we did that ahead of the massive amounts of VC dollars that have just piled in since. And I think that's so exciting to have watched this thesis that we had play out of, you know, there was a real innovation to be had here and marrying that with now all the dollars and the, and more so the talent because the dollars have brought in people who are much more interested in building insurance companies because everybody before was like insurance. Why would I want to get into insurance? Like, I think the running joke in insurance is I, I stumbled into insurance. I didn't try right. to get into it. Correct. <laughs> and so I couldn't find anything else. So I got into it. <laughs> so, so I was relegated to insurance. Mm-hmm. And now people are actively lining up, like trying to seek opportunities in here in this market. And we just could not be more excited to to meet and back those founders. You know, it's funny that you say that Lee was busy the other day and I did a podcast by myself, which, um, make sure all of our audience hears that because you want to listen, listen up for the one that I do all by myself. Cause you get all Rob all the time. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. What could be better than that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I missed that. <laughs> anyway, that's not my point. My point is we had on the CEO of trust layer, if you're familiar. Oh, yeah. And he was talking about how exciting it is to be in insurance and how insurance is his career of choice and that he's 
just can't believe how great insurance is and how exciting it is and how thrilling it is. And we honestly hear that more and more and more and more these days than, you know, for people like Lee and I who've been in the industry for a long time, 10 years ago, everybody agreed that, you know, insurance was just the most boring place that you could work, but it, it was a good place to work and the work was good and honest and important. But today it's like this thrilling sector. Do you agree with that perspective? I think that the evolutions we've seen in technology have unearthed so many different and interesting facets and also market dynamics that we couldn't have seen or predicted would have occurred. And and so like, let me unpack one of those. For instance, what Lemonade, Root, Metromile have done for this sector, you know, say what you will about the businesses and whether they'll be here they've been valued on growth, whereas insurance carriers historically have always been valued on return on equity. And that's just changed a different dynamic where the carriers of today are saying, oh man, what do I need to do to compete? If I can't compete on growth, I need to compete on my loss ratios, or I need to compete on my expense Mm -hmm. ratios. And we've just seen a renewed interest. I think this like competition has not only heated up for the startups and for people working in these upstarts, but it has made and revolutionized at the carrier level people's jobs and their excitement and engagement. And so I just think it's just been a net positive for the whole industry. I completely agree. I think that one of the best parts of InsureTech is it's redefining and re-energizing insurance in general. And like you said, it's yeah. it's giving different ways. We've always looked at it through a very narrow looking glass or focus and it's much broader now. Yeah, totally. There's other ways to define value and look at the balance sheet. Yep. Completely agreed. You mentioned that, you know, this flood of money that's coming into InsureTech. Tell us what, what do you make of that? Everybody's discovered as a venture capital provider, I have to have InsureTech in my portfolio. That's absolutely right. And I think the reason they have is because they've realized just how much of an untapped sector this was before. It was a bit of a white space, right? And I think a couple of things. We think of ourselves as being insurance experts, right? And and whether it be the focus that our fund has, the expertise of our LPs that we're able to leverage, the expert networks that we have, and it allows us to invest very shrewdly and smartly in the space. But when you're looking from a like a later stage game and, and you might not be an insurance expert, but you're just trying to catch up enough to understand, hey, we're writing some big checks here. We've got we're you know, we're a fund responsible for deploying a massive amount of dollars. As competition heats up, it gets harder. There's more noise. Right. And so it gets harder to be smart. So I think a really interesting dynamic that has unfolded is that. The first few funds that took the risk and said, hey, we don't really know insurance, but this seems big, like we should get behind it, will probably do well because the companies that rose to that level are probably highly credible. But now we're at this interesting inflection point, like Stripe, right? Everybody agrees, billion dollar business, really interesting business. And now it's almost like anybody, what I'm seeing in the early stage venture circuits is there are funds out in the valley that will sponsor an apartment for Stripe employees to live in before they've even quit their jobs, just so they can get an early look at what those people might build should they decide to quit their jobs and do a startup. <laughs> That's like the crazy world that we live in today. Wow. Because- That's remarkable. 
remarkable and stripes the gold standard and the goose that laid the golden egg. And so now anybody who touches that almost defunct has the, the Midas touch by default. That has been really interesting to watch that unfold. And I think what you're starting to see is not to the same extent, but you're definitely seeing that insurance in the insure tech landscape because you're seeing companies do really well. And that success has brought renewed interest from other folks. And now you're seeing folks leave those startups and do their own startup in insurance. And now funds are saying, oh, I feel more comfortable. These bigger funds are saying, oh, we can go earlier now because we're starting to see the talent go earlier. Whereas before we didn't really have an opinion, but now it's the, the sector is maturing a little bit more. We're starting to gain our bearings. And I just think we're getting a lot more you know, interest and, and smart, smart money flowing into the space. So it's, it's really fun to watch. Well, whenever you say that, it makes me think that we are on a second generation of this insurtech startup. Think of all the companies that have been around for four or five years that are starting to really come into their own. They're starting to get bought up. You have those entrepreneurs who are now able to start another one. Is that is that right. pretty typical for an entrepreneur you know, who ends a very successful run with a company to go out and start another one and be successful again? We've long since had a thesis, I think, in the venture world that like repeat founders are the the founders you want to back. And I think that there is some truth to that, but I've also seen it blow up in people's faces. There is a little bit of like, can you make lightning in the bottle happen uh, again? And a lot of that is due to how the operators execute. And so what you're getting in a tried and true vetted and successful founder is he or she did something right the first time to have a strong exit out the back end. And so there was like a good bit of execution. So you're kind of taking and de-risking on the execution standpoint. And then you really just need to understand like the market headwinds and the business that they're trying to build. You guys at AmFam just recently purchased, I don't know how you guys, how AmFam Ventures fit into it all. Mm -hmm. But one of the big pieces of news that came out in the last several months is your guys' acquisition of Bold Penguin. Right. And Ilya Bodner, the CEO and founder, is just the this exactly the kind of person you're talking about, right? Yeah, I was saying, you know, earlier, I think there's two types of of founders really. And there's the people who strike it big, get rich, and then they kind of they say, Well, I'm out. I, you know, I've got I've got a, a lot of the world to see. I'm gonna go follow my passions and see where life takes them. And and they're functionally done working. The, I, I call them the early retirees. And then you've got the folks who like like Ilya, who are just builders by their very nature and couldn't imagine not waking up and having like a mission and just something you believe so fervently in to go and execute on. And and that's what Ilya is. And so it's just been a really fun thing to watch as he's transitioned from this C- as CEO, and he's still CEO, but he went from being a CEO of an independent company to the CEO that's sitting within a larger enterprise. And, and he's a, now a senior leader in the enterprise. And, you know, just that has brought a whole new renewed amount of excitement. It's like another Everest for him to climb, another puzzle for him to figure out. And uh, it's just always really cool to see those types of people and how they're wired. Yeah, that's always awesome. You know, I can think about leaders out there who I would consider that. And, you know, it's just it's just so much fun to watch those people do what they love to do. 
right? When they have a passion about that. What are you seeing out there? You know, for Manfam Ventures, what are you interested in investing in at this time? Is it is it a certain technology? Is there a certain market? What are y'all looking at? We are looking at a bunch of stuff. We're looking at a the life insurance market can stand to be shaken up a little bit. So we're looking at a bunch of interesting stuff in that vein. I think from an operational standpoint, we've had a very longstanding interest in claims because as we see it, the insured techs that have recently SPAC'd or IPO'd Lemonade, Root, Metro Mile, Hippo, you know, have largely done so on growth multiples. So they were valued largely on the growth of their premium versus traditional carriers that are valued on their return of equity. And so what we've seen in that market is that for, from the, the implications that has had is that the carriers have then said, well, we need to compete in some way. And I touched on this earlier. And what they've done is essentially, you know, I think a big part of that has been a renewed focus on claims and reducing LEs or expense ratios. And so I'm, you know, we've been spending a ton of time as a group on claims infrastructure, claims technology that will really help drive down the cost and streamline while creating a pleasant user experience. Because you guys know better than anybody that how a customer interacts with you during that time of need really has a lasting impact on them. It's a great predictor of retention. Exactly. If you can do a good job when they need you, (laughs) then chances are they stay with you. And if you don't do a good job when they need you, then the opposite is probably true. Absolutely. Because like we always say, or I always say is, you know, nobody really wants to buy insurance. It's not a product you're excited about purchasing, but you're, it's a product that you're really glad you have when you're in that pinch. And so like consumers aren't really brand, like nobody, like, I don't think steps back other than like USAA, right. And says, oh, I'm, I'm with this carrier because I just, their brand just really resonates with me. I think it's, it's more because there was a cost uh, or I bundled or, um, but man, after you go through a claim incident and you have a really positive experience, that's when that brand becomes endeared, like endears itself to you and you stay with them. Are you seeing a technology or technologies out there on the claim side that's kind of addressing the claim more broadly, more cl- approaching more end to end. Like there's a, there's some yeah. tools out there that are, you know, highly effective, like hover. I think you guys were involved or have been, or are involved in hover. Maybe. Yeah. You know, hover addresses one particular piece right. in that puzzle. It takes the pictures, does the measurements, identifies damage, but there's so much more in that claims process from end to end. Are you seeing technologies that are more incorporative that address a a broader stretch of it? Or is it still just tools that are going to be pieced together and work in combination? Yeah, no, I think we are starting to see the very green shoots of that type of a robust entity. And I think it's really exciting. But I think that I guess a headwind against that is the insurtechs of today that are being built today are all like just so API driven. It's almost built so that these point solutions can work seamlessly into this platform. And so I totally buy there's a thesis where somebody comes in and says, hey, our claims module, here is the claims module end to end. 
it works great. It has all of your, like, you know, you don't have to have any ancillary contracts for, you know, video service with the customers or a chat bot with them. Like we provide all of that. It's one-stop shop. But I also think that that to do that, you have to either have the special sauce on so many of those points, or you're integrating in with the companies that are providing those point solutions, and you're just the bundle point, and then rolling it out to customers. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, you've determined High Marley is the claims chatbot that we that is for us. And so right. we're push all of our customers to it. And our this piece of the platform will be powered by High Marley. I've seen that done really well, because I think otherwise you get into... Okay you know, you're trying to be too many things at one time. And there are players out there like Hi Marley is a great example of this. They're focused on the claims chat experience. And that's where all of their resources are going. And so right. they've done a really great job on building out that platform. Right. And so so that's what I think we'll start seeing more of is, is people who are trying to bundle this. But then you, it begs the question, you know, do the insure techs want more control over their service providers instead of having an entity select what is best on their behalf? That's really interesting. Kind of a one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals exactly. the solution instead of one. And, and that's an interesting part because, again, on the claims side, there are unique parts to it that don't have anything to do with the other. Like Kai Marley's good example is all about communication. Exactly. Within the claim. It's not about is it a covered loss? Is, uh, you know, is it, what are the measurements? Right. You know, what, what are the, you know, components of the damage of the products that need to be repaired? Very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I was just sitting here thinking, you were talking about how we're looking at some of these companies based on, on their, uh, po- potential growth, right? Right. Some of these values being placed in these companies. And I'm just thinking, I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that lead us to a, I'm, I'm sorry. There's a giant drill going. <laughs> okay. So I was just thinking about that. And I'm thinking, doesn't that lead to the possibility of a bubble being burst even greater than traditionally looking at companies based on what they've done uh, whenever you're starting to kind of value them based on where you think they're going to go? Is that is that what all the other industries are doing or is this different? Well, I think you can look at it two ways. Like that is for sure an outcome that's on the table right now, that this is just you know, that the public markets were silly, that this, that this was way overvalued and there will be a bubble that burst. Or you can think of it as, you know, lemonade for instance, um, they were just given $400 million. And if you believe that they're smart people and you believe that, you know, what can you accomplish with $400 million? Can you figure out something that fits in the market by the time you've exhausted those funds? Yeah. Probably. So we might see a bunch of pivots. We might see entities that come out looking drastically different or or moderately different than what they went in and, and what investors plowed money behind. Um, but I think it's this thought of, eh, there's, there's probably some smart people here that can figure it out along the way. And so... I don't, I think when we look at it, we're not all doom and gloom where I think it it can be easy to get into that mindset, but I think the coming months will be really interesting and very telling as to where things shake out and, and it will have lasting impact. Like, so for instance, if we have a bunch of, if if it is a bubble and, and that bursts, I think, you know, it, it could have an impact on the exits and what that looks like for the rest of the sector, for sure. I mean, how could it not? 
the exits are remarkable, the exits that are going on. Like you mentioned Stripe and what Stripe's new valuation is. Yeah. I, I mean, how do you guys deal with that? How can you keep up with it? You know, it's a, it's a great question. Uh, like we focus so early that luckily we don't have to deal with trying to value these assets towards like the end of their cycle in the startup land. But it is something we have to think about because it's what we underwrite to, right? And we, and we want to we wanna make sure we're not getting ahead of our skis with valuations in the early stage. But, you know, I think it, it, if I look through the lens of where have we seen valuations, they have absolutely crept up. It has not been linear, the jump from valuations in 2020 to the valuations of 2021. They're just night and day. So it, it is already having an impact on, on what we're seeing in the market, at least at an early stage level. So you mentioned life, you mentioned claims. What else is interesting out there? What else do you see when you look out over 21 and 22? What's exciting? Yeah, you know, I think that there's probably some play around brokerages and having those be a little bit more tech enabled. And so, I mean, you look at Goosehead and how successful they've been with their, you know, IEs and oh, uh, yeah. the business that they've built. Yeah, it's just it's just been tremendous. Um, and so we're also really excited about that front. So if there's anybody out there, shout out to all my entrepreneurs out there looking to build something in the brokerage space, come find us. We, uh, we want to chat for sure. So that's, that's kind of an, another, um, what is certainly hot right now. I believe Andreessen Horowitz, um, penned a post called embedded insurance. And that's a thesis. So just for folks who aren't familiar with that term, it's almost insurance everywhere that insurance will be sold in tandem at checkout at points of sale for other products. So for instance, you're interested in going to a concert. Well, you can insure that during the checkout process for you buying your concert ticket. And this is a thesis that American Family, we've been long on for a while. And so it, it actually is the underpinnings of our investment in clear cover and our investment in another company called protect, which, which actually does live event ticket insurance. So we're really excited to see, I don't want to even say renewed enthusiasm, but just continued enthusiasm in the space. I understand that like on the tickets is a great example. Yeah. But if you start growing that out wider and wider and wider, don't you end up with 130 different policies that you've purchased at various times during checkout? For sure. It, it certainly makes it more cumbersome to, to try to manage. That's why I think, you know, I think there is something to specializing here, right? Like, I, I don't know if you can be, I think picking a lane and going in, and I don't believe people will just buy insurance for any single product. Like, I don't think we're going to see all of a sudden new types of insurance products. Like some, sure. I think we've seen a lot of product. I, I think it's going to be less on the product innovation standpoint and more on the distribution standpoint. So my guess is you're not going to have 130 policies that are all going to be hyper relevant to you that you're going to want to, to keep track of. Is the thought to really make insurance more invisible and just easier and those companies that can really put it there at checkout? I mean, isn't that the way things are going to start to go? You buy a house, maybe perhaps, and then it's just, it's just seamless. Right now you buy a house, you got to go to an agent, you got to decide. I mean, eventually buying insurance has got to become even easier. A hundred percent. And it's, it's the jury's still out on like to, to Rob's point a little bit of like, okay, so say you buy a bunch of policies and, and then you have a, a claim that, and you need to, you need to make a claim, I should say. 
And like, who are you going to go to? Are you going to go to the website where you purchased this? Are you going to, are they going to handle your claim and kind of like take it back to the carrier? Are you going to go direct to the carrier itself? Like who ultimately owns that consumer at the end of the day, I think will be really interesting to see how that unfolds. But yeah, I think the whole point of kind of this embedded insurance play or this incidental distribution thesis is that you want insurance to be easy to sign up for. And that when people, because it's not a product that people are overly enthusiastic about purchasing, if you make it just convenient for them, if you make it seamless, take a lot of the friction out and provide them just a great user experience, that you'll be able to bind a bunch more policies because it's the it's the added thought, the added lift, the added mental cycles that kind of drives people away from wanting to, to pull the trigger. Is that part of why you think that you guys are interested in brokers and brokerage and all that stuff is that the agent continues to be so important because of the complexity of insurance? I, I think for sure. I mean, definitely in the middle market, I think that's why we've seen it to be very difficult for tech to kind of break through into that market. I think, you know, in the SMB we continue to believe that people like there's two ways to look at this. Either the product is very self-explanatory in which great direct consumer play makes a lot of sense. And you can kind of commoditize a bunch of that. Like think, think auto policies. It's very easy to shop for those. Very easy. But like, then you start thinking about home policies. Like, well, what type of home are you getting? Like some of those can be streamlined, but some of them have an added wrinkle, or maybe you want to bundle your home with your auto now. How are you going to do that? And an agent and a human, I think, will always, mm -hmm. you know, humans are good at selling and I think they'll continue to remain relevant. You know, it's funny you say that because I've been involved in a homework assignment for myself as an insurance professional and this somebody who's on this, you know, crazy podcast to try to buy a new insurance policy for myself and my, my home and my okay. car. And can I tell you, and I've resisted calling an agent okay. or resisted that it's real it's really hard it's really hard right what's so i have hard not about been it? able to do it yet i've gotten online with a couple of different insure techs to do it sometimes i can't bundle some don't right. offer me a bundle i live in california that might be part of it i've used yeah. other ones consolidators i don't know what you call them so far i have not had success it's yeah. hard it's harder than you would think Mm -hmm. Or than I would have thought that it is. What does it make me want to do? It makes me want to pick up the phone and call somebody. Yeah. And say, hey, can you please help me? Not the constant emails and the computer and everything and text messages trying to prompt me down the line. I, I totally understand that. Uh, I just went through a bunch of this myself and I used an agent. I now have an agent for the first time in my life. And it was for that exact reason. I wanted to offload the whole process. Like I didn't want to invest the time to go get the quotes. I didn't want to invest the time to enter like into a bunch of um, engines, the information that I needed. So until underwriting gets to the, the point where it's like a two, three question lift across the whole industry, and then they can spit out policies to you and, and you, the consumer don't have to like go rekey a bunch of information. It's just, it, you know, agents are very attractive for, for that reason. We're rounding the corner here because your son sent me an instant message saying, "Can I, hey, can I have my mom back? 
which I thought was pretty nervy of him to disrupt my flow like that. (laughs) Kids today, you know, if he's doing that at seven months, what's he going to be doing at a year? That's what I want to know. Anyway, (laughs) let's talk about uh, COVID and, and that whole crazy thing. And I mean, I think we're all in agreement that we're kind of at a point with COVID beside being tired of it, that we can kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel, maybe. So does that tunnel include you guys going to InsureTech Connect this year? Will you be at the big event? My guess, and I feel like we have a higher degree of certainty in this than we probably have had in, in recent months on events while attending, is yes. Especially since the Biden administration kind of, I think, went on on stage and said everybody will will have enough vaccines for everybody by May. Right. I suspect that by the time October rolls around, everyone will have had the opportunity to get their two shots. And we will be physically in Las Vegas in the smoke tunnels of the Vegas casinos for InsureTech Connect. And why is that important to AmFam Ventures? I think it's just this meeting of the minds where for five days, four or five days, you see everybody who's relevant in your your universe or can your you can get in touch with ever anybody who's relevant in your universe it, it is the one-stop shop for the insurance world and and the event to go to every year and so as a fund that is focused on the future of insurance it's important to for networking reasons it's important to, to hear what trends we think and, and hear from industry leaders as to what they're seeing come down the pike is important to, we, we talked about network, but there's a few wrinkles there. It could be because you need to meet and get in front of people. You need to have your brand out there. So people continue to say, oh yeah, Amphan Ventures, super relevant when we think of insurance. And it's just a, it's a place to, you know, catch up with folks that you haven't seen in at this point, almost a year and a half. Right. Absolutely. Right. Are you yeah. shopping? Are you guys shopping when you're there? Uh, for sure. I mean, we're always shopping. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always tell people, if you bump into one of us, always be pitching. Uh-huh. Hey, hey, whenever you're looking for a company, is it somebody who has a great idea or is it somebody who's already in practice with that idea? What are y'all looking for? We've done both. Like, for instance, ClearCover was literally whiteboarded in our offices and we, we said, great, let's fund this. Um, and we have one right now that we haven't announced yet. Um, but the same thing, it was literally a little bit of, um, an entrepreneur came to us, Hey, I've got this great tech, this great idea. We massaged it with him. And then we're like, this is fundable. Let's get behind it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's fun. That's really cool. It is cool. I will say though, those are in the minority of the investments that we do. Like we've done a handful of them, but it is really fun when we get to do them. And when you say early stage, yeah. Define that. Define what early stage means to you. So I used to get away with saying we're seed to series B and people that that was like a thing. But now seed has morphed into a bunch of stuff. So now I say we're incubation to series B. The steps along the way that I see are go from you could incubate, you could do a pre-seed, you could do a seed round, you can do a seed plus round, you can do an A, you can do a B. And we will look at you at any point in time along that chain. And what kind of dollars does that translate into from pre-seed up to Series B? The lowest that we'd probably write a check for would be 250K. And then on the upper end, you know, we can look at things 
you know, early checks in 8 million, maybe up to 10 million. Uh, but our, our checks on, on the higher end are, are getting higher because our, our first checks are because just valuations have been going up and to maintain ownership levels, you, you need to cut bigger checks. When we first interviewed you, weren't you just closing a new fund? We, we, yeah, we you were. You put a new fund together? Mm-hmm. We had, yep. That that was the one where you where you guys brought in some of some of the other CVCs, right? We did, yep, yep. So multi LP fund, backed by you know a cadre of folks that are carriers, people who are financial institutions that have a vested interest in insurance, or corporations that are just just really excited about the insurance ecosystem. It's been going swimmingly well. It's been going really well. Um. It has allowed us to provide, we're, we're seeing our thesis play out, which was we bring more en- entities together that care about insurance and it develops a richer ecosystem for everybody, for the startups that we're involved with to the LPs that have backed us um, because we're able to show those LPs um, a, lot, a, a lot of startups that are relevant to their business and operations. And they're also able to uh, connect with the startups in our ecosystem, either the ones we decide to invest in or, or ones that we say, hey, it's not a fit right now, but you should definitely talk with our LPs because I think there could be an operating contract at the end of that conversation. And so that has gone really well. And we've been able to deliver that value as well as so far, strong financial returns. So we're really happy about that. Very cool. Well, we're really happy to have you. and. Always. And uh, of course, the problem is is that being uh, an an all time now now this is your third time on our podcast, right? Third, yeah. So you know you, that entitles you to a a super deluxe, very very expensive gift as a three timer. It's only been given out a couple of times to other three timers, and I don't want to spoil the surprise. All right, I'll just say be looking in the mail. Every day. So listen, thank you. What do you say? Thanks to her, Lee. I did. But then there was a drill in the background, so I had to stop. So (laughs) thank you very much for being on. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Caitlin. All right, guys. Talk soon. Always a pleasure to have Caitlin. Always. I mean, she, she's she's wonderful to talk to. She's just one of those people who who really light you up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's interesting to me how broad the insurance world has become that now you have people like her who are involved in it from the financial side, from the investment side, and have tremendous uh, knowledge of it and familiarity of it, it being the, the insurance industry, and and are now critical parts of it that really just a few years ago, uh, it didn't even exist. Right? Yeah, it, it, it's fun to think back. You know, we've been doing this podcast for 120 weeks. And you think about what we thought about InsureTech two years ago and and what we think about it now. It just seemed, it seemed like a niche then. Mm-hmm. And right. now it seems like such a large world. It's this whole big world of InsureTech. Mm-hmm. And she gets to play in that space every day, all day, and really just look at all the corners of, of that world. It, it's so big. It's so big. Right. And plus, a couple of years ago, it kind of felt like InsureTech was a part, just a 
you know, this own component, a component of the insurance world. And now it, it feels to me far more integrated. It's more mainstream. The whole thing is more mainstream. And you have people like, like Caitlin who are now part of the mainstream. Well, and it turned so much more from insured tech, right? I'm going to invest in technology to I'm going to invest in insurance and everything around insurance. And now we're just a part of the insurance world at, at its core. And people are really investing in insurance and insurance technology and insurance ideas. That's where we're at. It, it's now just a normal state of life. We're fortunate to have friends like Caitlin to be on with us and to yeah. come back and put up with us several times. And we thank her for being with us. And thank you guys, as always, for listening and being part of our community. And so thanks. And until next time. Goodbye, everybody.